It's episode 38 of the Keto for Women show. You're listening to the Keto for Women show, and I'm your host and nutritionist, Sean Miner. This show is designed to empower women to find their own expression of the keto diet to maximize their health and happiness. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hey there, friends. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Keto for Women show. Very good, very exciting edition of this podcast. We have a special guest who we will get into in just a moment. Very excited to chat with Miriam. But before we do, let's just give you some brief announcements. I am right now actually in Portland, Oregon at the Nutritional Therapy Association Conference. It's day one if you're listening to this when the podcast airs and always such a fun time, such a great experience. If you are someone who's in the NTA, has been through the course to be a nutritional therapy practitioner or consultant, you should definitely come one of these times. So much fun and so much information that you get in over the course of the three days. I am actually here at the conference this year as someone that will be a speaker. So I will be on a panel on Sunday afternoon with my friends, Jimmy Moore, who I'm sure most of you know, and Leah Williamson, who is the host of the Low Carb Conversations podcast, and both of them really good friends with. It's going to be so much fun. We've actually decided to do 30 minutes of kind of chatting about how to help get people to comply with a low-carb slash ketogenic diet, and then we're going to be doing 30 minutes of questions from the audience. So that will be really fun, and hopefully we'll get some good questions. If you are someone that's at the conference, maybe you're listening to me right now and you're seeing me in person at the conference. That would be cool. If you are, make sure you head to my chat there on Sunday afternoon, and we can talk afterwards. That would be really fun. Or you can ask me a question during the talk if you really want to. That would also be fun. And then on Monday, I head straight from Portland over to Spain again. So I'm spending another couple days in Mallorca, Spain for the second round of the Low Carb Universe Conference. This one specifically for keto ladies only. So cool. I'm very excited for that. This time, again, I will be speaking. I will be doing a talk on keto for hormones next Sunday. So I have a week in between each, which will be great and really awesome time there. I can already tell you I'm going to have a blast. And then I'm taking a few days off and heading with my friend, Steph Dodier, who you probably all know too. She was on the podcast and is a really great friend of mine. And we are going from Spain to Portugal for a few days of probably a workcation. I think we'll do some work, but hopefully have some time to sightsee and just kind of relax too. So I will be doing that and then heading back to the States later that week. So I'll be gone about two weeks. Don't worry. The podcast will be going on as usual. As you can see, there will be plenty of awesome content coming your way over the next few weeks, even though I'm not technically where I typically record, I'll still be recording. Don't worry. And one of my favorite podcasts to do, which I'm so excited to do at this time too, when I will now have two conferences under my belt is to give you all a breakdown of what happened over those conferences. So be on the lookout for that in a few weeks too, where you can hear what I learned. 
it's always so fun to do that because then I have to test myself and my notes that I took, which aren't always so great and or not legible. But we'll see how it goes. I'll try to pay a little closer attention to my handwriting this time around. All right, let's get into today's episode. I have a special guest for you on a topic that I find absolutely fascinating and something that I think we all really need to pay more attention to and really get the details, really get the understanding under our belts. And you will kind of hear this in our talk today, what will be something that affects you down the road. So it may not be something where you need to know right now, but it will get there. So please take this topic to heart, really understand, really use Miriam's education and her experience to your advantage, get her book, and just get the knowledge under your belt for the future. This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime-solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. I have Miriam Kalamian as a guest on Keto for Women today. Miriam is a nutrition consultant, educator, and author specializing in the implementation of ketogenic therapies. She's a leading voice in the keto movement, coming to it from an intensely personal experience. In 2004, her young son, Rafi, was diagnosed with brain cancer. Unfortunately, conventional treatments failed. It was then that Miriam literally stumbled upon Dr. Thomas Seafried's research supporting the use of diet in cancer. In an awesome turn of events, Rafi's tumor stopped growing after just three months of a medically supervised ketogenic diet. That was also a turning point in Miriam's life as well. By the spring of 2010, she had earned her master's degree in human nutrition and was board certified to practice. Miriam is the author of the Keto for Cancer book, which we'll learn more about today, and just such a great resource in this movement. So let's hear from her. Hi, Miriam. Thank you so much for coming on Keto for Women today. Well, Sean, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be talking to a group of women for a change. I know, right? It's a great platform. We have really good women out there that are just really excited to learn more about keto and the other reasons we should be doing keto, some of the other stuff that we can help ourselves with, but potentially people in our lives, our loved ones, and help them better their health. So we have a really good community here at Keto for Women. Oh, that's great. So let's get into a little bit about you. I want to know, just kind of tell me your background. Tell me what you have done in the past, how you got to where you are today, and things you love to chat about now. Hmm. Yes. It's a loaded I, question. Uh, yeah, <laughs> loaded question. As I mentioned to you earlier, I was happily living my life as a retail business owner. I had a couple of rug stores in Connecticut and Montana and living my life. We were doing great. And we had this amazing little guy, a little boy we had adopted from Armenia when he was two and quite an adjustment to make in our lives as older parents, but we were doing it and loving it. And then in 2004, when our little guy was just four years old, we started to notice some change in behavior, some really disturbing changes in behavior, too much to go into. But, you know, it was so easy to think that 
he was experiencing some type of anxiety, separation anxiety issues a lot of adopted toddlers do. And so we were kind of led down the wrong road for a while there, thinking that this was strictly behavioral, the changes were behavioral. And then we started to see some other things too with vision. And it took us a good eight months from that point to learn that he had a brain tumor. Devastating, devastating. I can't even begin to tell you. And the moms in this group are going to understand that. And this was 2004, the internet wasn't as sophisticated as today. And when I went online and looked at our options, it was worse than I could imagine. So here we are with this four-year-old, it's Christmas day, and this is what I'm reading on the internet. And so we went along with the program. There wasn't any reason for us to believe that looking at anything else, trying anything else would be helpful. So we started 14 months of weekly chemotherapy. 14 months of going to the hospital every week and having this little guy get an infusion of chemotherapy. And it was rough on all of us. And unfortunately, it didn't work. So at the end of 14 months, we had a little bit of a break. And then we're into another chemo, weekly chemo for 12 weeks. That's not working. We take another little breather. And then he has a couple of surgeries. And they do a lot of damage. But you know, at least we think we're going to get a little bit more of a breather. Eight weeks later, One section of the tumor had grown back and actually 25% larger. So we panicked. We're in a clinical trial now. That's failing. And that is when it was in the midst of this clinical trial when he was hospitalized. And I was researching one of his drugs that he was on and came back to that page a few days later. And being Science Daily, there is some new research. And it's Dr. Thomas Seyfried's study on calorically restricted ketogenic diet in a mouse model of glioma. And of course, that's just a mouse model. But in the research that he was presenting, he cited some literature on a couple of children who had aggressive brain cancer and had been put on a ketogenic diet for an eight-week trial. And the glucose uptake to the tumor was reduced in both children by over 20%. So of course, I'm going to look into this one. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, email Dr. Seyfried. He was great. He sent me papers. He put me in contact with the Charlie Foundation that had been doing this for epilepsy for a long time, since that the Charlie Foundation since the mid-90s. A lot of resources there. And instead of thinking, you know, why should we do this? We were thinking, why not do this? Because we didn't have, we were out of options at that point, totally out of options except for palliative chemotherapy. And he was only at that point, not quite seven. So that wasn't really the road we we were ready to go down. So with a local oncologist support, his big center people were dissing the diet big time, but they didn't say anything about it being harmful to him or saying that it would nutritionally compromise him. They had none of those complaints, just that it wouldn't work. So with local support, you know, our son Rafi's pediatrician and his local oncologist, we started a ketogenic diet, medically monitored by these guys, And in 12 weeks, excuse me, his tumor had shrunk back by 10 to 15%, smaller in all dimensions. We hadn't seen this, you know, we hadn't seen this in the two and a half years that we had been down this road with our son. So I really needed to know more. I really needed to understand this better, Sean. So Mm -hmm. that's how I made this kind of later in life shift in what I was doing. And I was dumped the rug store at heart. (laughs) And I was back in school shortly after that great MRI, studying all I could, getting a degree in master's actually in nutrition. 
and it was great in terms of getting the education, the standard education in nutrition, but there was like zero, zero information on a ketogenic diet outside of its use in epilepsy. And now you see all of this validated information coming like from Verda Health on diabetes, coming from Steve Kinane up in, in Canada on you know neurodegenerative disease, Alzheimer's trials starting in Parkinson's. You're seeing all kinds of really wonderful stuff happening in the keto world. And of course, we know, despite what we might read in the press, that the ketogenic diet is the most effective diet for weight loss. Yeah, there's so much coming out and it's so great now that we have this information. But back then, back when you were looking at this stuff, it wasn't really out there. It wasn't really talked about. And it was probably maybe even deemed as potentially quote unquote dangerous or... So how did it get to that point where, and like you kind of mentioned, you had no other choice, but as a mom and as someone that was, you know, not really in the nutrition field, that must have been a really hard spot to be in where you see this information, you have a little bit of information and you're doing this research really just as someone coming from not really that background at all. I mean, that choice to just go that route anyway and kind of just negate what the doctors are saying had to be difficult. Oh, oh yeah, I was terrified. I really was. Although the diet had been out there for epilepsy for a long time, since the 1920s at the Mayo Clinic, that was the first use of a ketogenic diet for pediatric epilepsy. But see, I had that under my belt that it had been in use that long. Mm-hmm. They knew what the side effects were. They knew what to look for. They knew what things to track. It's just what was terrifying me was that This was a new application. There was only speculation that it would help. And we were not supported in the way that people with cancer can be supported now. It's still really challenging in my keto for cancer world. But now you you know you can build a support network, even if it is online support. But yeah, I was terrified. And actually, kids go into ketosis so quickly that by the end of the first day of basically fasting, because that was the protocol, it was like 24-hour fast, and you have these foods on hand and you have this juice on hand if you need to reverse, you know, he was actually ketotic. We weren't in a really good space at that point, but it was so easy, so easy to get there and so easy to reverse it. But boy, I feel for people who are still in that situation of not having adequate support. What I did have and I value so highly was the support of a couple of moms on the Charlie Foundation website. They had a moderated group for families that were doing this diet for epilepsy. And they, it included children who were doing a modified ketogenic diet. Actually, it was called then, still is, modified Atkins is what they termed it. And there were two moms moderating that group that would answer my questions or would pose things to other members of the group that were just really helpful and reassuring to me. And it didn't take me long to see I wasn't harming my kid. Those Mm -hmm. first few days were, were just dreadful. But after that, I mean, he just bounced back so quickly. that Yeah. So- how did that actually look like? So you mentioned the protocol was started with 24-hour fasts with you know some certain foods ready to go if needed, but how did it look kind of in the future? And, and were you able to see other improvements besides the tumor shrinking just in how he was responding yeah. and acting? Yeah. His tumor had affected the optic nerve. So he was blind in his left eye functionally blind. He had like a, at that point it was 2,400 or 2,800. I don't remember quite 
And on the right side, it was a really limited field of vision that he had. But we're sitting in the car one day and he says to me, mom, when I close my eye, and he meant his, the eye he could see out of, I can see that these trees are green. Mm. So he was looking out of his left eye. He could tell color, which had disappeared for him. And so we, we did some testing after that, and his vision had improved to like 20, 100, which was just amazing. Again, nothing that had been done for him at this point had been able to stem the relentless loss of function. It just kept getting worse and worse and worse. So this was the first time we saw anything moving in the positive direction. All we were hoping to do was stall for some time, get a little more time with our kid where he wasn't undergoing these toxic therapies. He was still on a really low dose of a chemo drug, but it was minor compared to what we'd put him through. And it certainly wasn't the make or break on this. It was just to keep his oncologist and his profession's good graces, as I like to say because he couldn't monitor him unless he was actually pretending he was treating him in some way. So yeah, to see turnaround in function, he, his memory got sharper. Some of the things that was happening on the right side of his body as a result of the tumor, like the loss of function in his hand, he just got a lot of stuff back over time. Mm-hmm. And I can't say it was smooth and even. It was for the first three years, it was just great. And then the final three years, unfortunately, he died. But the final three years of his life, it was a a little more of a roller coaster, but still the fact that in that three years, he didn't have to receive any kind of treatment at all. There was nothing for him. There was no suggestion of a treatment protocol at that point. So he had a good run. And right. I attribute it entirely to us discovering the diet. He just would have continued. There's no doubt in anyone's mind that it was just a downhill trajectory before we started the diet. And it really did give you more time with him, which is what you wanted. Yeah. You know, in the middle of of that, we took Roth to Mexico and Mm -hmm. people think we went there for treatment. It's like, no, no, we went there. You know, we gave up everything at that point. And we spent five months in Mexico and we were camping in the mountains and playing on the beach. Oh, that's So, so awesome. It was awesome to see my son climbing fences, running on the beach. On my website, there's a picture of him running on the beach and it's just so precious to me still. And it's been six years since that picture was taken. Mm, That's just incredible. What an incredible story and really a starting point for you to get on this trend to really helping other people and, Mm -hmm. you know, starting to really have this, this story in your own life that now transcends and you're able to share this message with so many other people and, you know, help in what other people are going through right now if they or their loved one has cancer. So it's such a great platform that you have created for yourself. So hopefully that... for my son. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And definitely just remembering him in that way and paying it forward, I guess you could call it. Yeah. And you know, when I started with, with this, it was really, like I said, I was just hoping we could kind of flatten out this trajectory and then I see it works, but I need to know more. There mm-hmm. wasn't, there just wasn't any information out there on cancer, really, except what Dr. Seaford was doing. So that was my purpose in going back to school initially. But by the time I graduated in the program, and that was April of 2010, so it's uh, coming up on eight years. At that point, I knew, well, it's like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this out for people. But that wasn't my intention going into it. It was strictly self-serving. I wanted to help my child. And then coming out of it, it was like, this is too good for me for me to just keep to myself. Yes, so, for sure. Um, yeah. So that, that was a big, 
a big move, a little scary to sort of go away from the things I was familiar with. So it was my third career. I was an educator first, and then I did the retail businesses for a long time. And then this is what I've been doing since 2010, actually, since I started my grad program in, in the summer of 2007. So great. So let's get into that information. So you really went all in trying to figure out what exactly happened that made this work, that allowed you more time with your son. What's going on with this keto thing and Um, cancer? Yeah. And I continue to learn something new every day. If I don't learn something new every day, it's kind of a wasted day. Mm -hmm. But There's an explosion of new information out there now, and you still have to glean the nuances for cancer from what's happening in the whole wider keto world and even from the low carb world. But it's just this learning thing every day and adding to that body of knowledge that's explaining how this works and not just accepting that it works and just doing it, which you can do. You just say, oh yeah, you know, I'm confident that this is going to work and somebody's figured out why and I'm just going to do it. So you don't need to know the science. Uh, I think a couple of the strongest points to make about it is Hey, the the most simplistic being you're starving your cancer of glucose. And boy, I wish it was that easy that we could just like go on a ketogenic diet and cancer would say, oh, no, don't have enough glucose to survive. But cancer cells have adapted so many mutations. And then basically it all comes down to this faulty mitochondria. We were talking about that a little bit. So faulty mitochondria are not enough to support a cancer cell. So they begin fermenting glucose like crazy in the cytoplasm of the cell. And a change in diet, even if we were to take in zero carbs, is not going to shut off the supply of glucose in our blood. And cancer cells are greedy. They're going to grab as much of that in the blood as they can. So you can't entirely starve your cancer glucose, but by going ketogenic, you're only making enough glucose in the liver to sort of fuel what you need. There's a certain percentage of brain cells that are going to need glucose, and there's red blood cells need glucose, lens tissue needs glucose. But the rest of the body does just fine on fatty acids and on ketone bodies. So you are providing a fuel, particularly where it comes to ketone bodies, that cancer cells have not really figured out how to use. They don't have the enzymes, they don't have the transporters, enough of the transporters to bring them into the cells. So you're kind of boxing with this whole idea of of the fuel supply. The other thing that cancer can live on is amino acids. So, you know, primarily you look at glutamine and there's a lot of cancers that are actually more, we call them glutamine avid. I was asked to explain that recently and it's like, well, they're just more interested in glutamine than most Mm -hmm. normal cells and they'll, they'll get it however they can. Diet is one way, but they'll also rob it from neighboring cells. So again, you can't cut off the supply of glutamine. You can't cut off, there was something recently about this, you know, asparaging. And so all of a sudden there's this panic over asparagus and it's like, no, relax folks. Your body needs this for other purposes and mm-hmm. it's going to provide it somehow. So that's one of the nuances, Sean, in the ketogenic diet for cancer. We're lowering our intake of protein down to just all proteins across the board down to just what we need in order to make hormones, the structural components of healthy cells, those kinds of good activities, muscle synthesis, but not enough to get recycled into glucose or to directly go into these pathways in the mitochondria that utilize amino acids. So you're still inhibiting those pathways. You're inhibiting the mTOR pathway, which is a cancer-promoting pathway. You're inhibiting IGF-1. 
And that's an anabolic growth factor, really, that just cancer cells just can't get enough of it. So you're inhibiting those pathways, and that's the science behind the diet. You're inhibiting what they call HDAC, and that's too much to go into. It's in my book. (laughs) We'll leave it there as far as the science goes. So yeah, we're making impacts. We're inhibiting. Here's a generalization. We're inhibiting the pathways that are associated with cancer progression, and we're upregulating the pathways that contribute to cellular health. So we're Mm. supporting the healthy cells and compromising the cancer cells. Oh, that's such a good way to put it. Just very distinct and easy to understand that that's what's really happening. Before we get any further with this episode, let me take just a second to tell you all about the Ample Ketogenic Meal Replacement Shakes. I'm so excited that this product is now out there. I can't wait for you all to try it. It is the first all-in-one keto meal replacement shake that gets the nutrition from quality, real ingredients, which is so, so, so hard to find in the ketogenic space. You all know how important real food ingredients are for me, and I want to pass that information on to you. And here we now have a really great opportunity to have a meal replacement shake something that's super easy for us to grab when we're on the go, running errands, don't have time for breakfast, don't feel like cooking, whatever it may be, we now have a place to turn, and that is the Ample Ketogenic Meal Replacement Shakes. 70% of the calories in this shake come from premium healthy fats such as MCT oil powder, coconut oil powder, things we're already eating on a daily basis anyway. There are only 6 grams of net carbs in each meal, And it comes along with 40 billion CFUs of probiotics, which is like 10 times what you would get by drinking a kombucha. So they're really taking care of our gut health. They're keeping that in check while we're on a ketogenic diet. They have the prebiotic fibers necessary too within this shake to feed the good bacteria in your gut. They've thought of so much. It has potassium and magnesium so that if you're going through the keto flu or you just want to work on your electrolyte balance, which is something we talk about a lot on keto for women, that's taken care of too. And the best part is it actually tastes amazing. I taste so many ketogenic products. Most of them I don't like, so I don't even tell you about them, but I love the flavor of these ample shakes. You're going to love it. I can't wait for y'all to try it. In order to do so, because they are a sponsor of the Keto for Women show, you lucky listeners get 15% off your order when you go to amplemeal.com and use the coupon code keto the number 4 women 15 at checkout. That's amplemeal.com and use the coupon code keto the number 4 women 15 to get your 15% off your first order. I will make sure to have this information linked in the show notes so you can get easy access to your 15% off. And now, is that happening because of the diet change, which you mentioned, obviously, really low carbohydrate, just enough protein. Now, that could just be considered a low-carb diet, but the increase in fats and really producing the ketones, is that the ketone production doing that? Or is it just that change in diet, which could just potentially be low carb? Or what is the extra benefit of going keto? The extra benefit of keto over low carb? Yes. Okay. The extra benefit of going keto is that there's this robust supply of ketones. And ketones are anti-inflammatory in a way that just being a fat burner is not. 
So ketones are anti-inflammatory, and we know that cancer loves inflammation. It thrives in an inflamed environment. It thrives in an acidic environment. So some people interpret that as meaning, oh, you got to be on an alkaline diet. And no, that's not what we're talking about. The acidity in a cancer cell is due to this fermentation of glucose. If you ferment glucose rather than use it more efficiently in the mitochondria of the cell, if you ferment it in the cytoplasm, what's it ferment to? Lactic acid. Lactic acid, it's that byproduct of glucose metabolism in your muscles when you're sprinting. You got to get rid of it. It's not good to be hanging around in your body. So it gets taken to the liver. What's the liver do with it? Makes new glucose, puts that back into circulation. So I see that sometimes if somebody has a very heavy tumor load, especially tumor load on the liver, they will be making a lot of glucose and their glucose level will be higher, even if they're strictly ketogenic. So yeah, you know, that's one of the many benefits of going keto is Mm -hmm. the anti-inflammatory, it lowers the inflammation through the reduction of the acid environment, the tumor microenvironment, they call it. And also cancer cells don't have the same adaptations as normal cells that allow normal cells to thrive, even if there's absolutely no food. Because just think about it, if we didn't have a backup that could get us, that could power us could keep our minds sharp and power our muscles through periods of total food deprivation, then how could we have chased down as paleo people? How would we have chased down, you know, our food? How would we have, mm-hmm. had, you know, been able to survive the amount of time? But the cancer cells haven't adapted to that. They don't have the same enzymes that you need to utilize the ketones. And like I said, they don't have the same transporters to bring the ketones into the cell. So it's putting them at a disadvantage, plus you're you're reducing the amount of the fuels that they prefer in the form of glucose and proteins. No, definitely. Yeah, it makes so much sense. And it really is great that we do have this new therapy. And I think it's probably important to talk about how this looks. So it's not as if someone, or maybe it is, you tell me, who has cancer can they opt to do keto instead of the other therapies or are we doing this all in conjunction? In conjunction. And I'm glad, so glad you brought that up. It popped in my mind at one point that I got to mention that <laughs> and then it popped out again. I knew um, I had to mention that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I just, uh, Sean, I just got a, an email this morning from somebody who I won't go into the details, but her husband has cancer and she wanted to consider doing this as an alternative to a standard of care. And I have not seen any evidence that a ketogenic diet on its own will knock out cancer. I just don't see it. And I've worked with hundreds of people, probably close to 600 at this point. And I'm just not seeing that, even in the people who are doing it so compliant in such great numbers. But it doesn't always have to be as aggressive a cancer therapy as might be offered to you. So like we did it when we chose to do it for our son. We picked the least, like I said, we got it. We had to keep the oncologist in his profession's good graces. So we did not go with the four drugs palliative care that would have meant hospitalizations and transfusions and infections. We went with a drug that gave him a little transient nausea for about half a day, and then he was back on his feet again. And we only did that on and off for a few months. And then the oncologist said, you know what? It's not, the, it's not this, like, this isn't the method of action of this chemo drug. This result, after he saw the MRI, he said, yeah, we're just damaging him with this chemo. 
So yeah, I got to stress, ketogenic diet is an adjunct. There are a couple of cases where it can be standalone, and that's where it's watch and wait therapies. They also call that active surveillance. So in other words, the oncology team has identified and most likely even diagnosed a particular kind of cancer. And now they are just going to watch it. They're going to do active surveillance, maybe a scan every couple of months. And if it looks like it's on the run, they'll start to act on it. But if it stays quiet or even shrinks back on its own, they're not going to do anything. They're not going to intervene on that. So those watch and wait. So there's a few of them. There's low-grade gliomas in the brain. There are some in particular that are watch and wait. Some prostate cancer is watch and wait. A few, like even leukemia, there's a certain type of leukemia, CLL leukemia, that it's a really high lymphocytes, but it's like they got to get to a, an extreme high number before they begin treatment. Because once they begin treatment, then you sort of like the clock starts to tick on this. So you have a limited amount of years left once they begin treatment. So mm-hmm. they try to postpone the treatment. And I have one guy, he is in, oh God, I don't know, probably day six of a fast. He's going to end the fast tomorrow. Mm-hmm. CLL. And the first time he did a fast, it was 11 days. And he, I'm not recommending this for everybody. I just, just sharing what he did. And it knocked his lymphocytes way, way down. And they started to climb again recently. And so that's why he decided on another fast, but it's been months. I think that first one might've been May. Wow. So I think it may have been later than that. But in, anyway, yeah. And there are some adjunct protocols, combination drugs. There's this group. Everybody should be aware of this because cancer is going to come knocking on your door at some point in your life. So everyone should be aware of this group in South Dakota, Care Oncology US, and they are offering an adjunct cocktail of drugs, inexpensive. It's like $50 a month for these drugs. And they're repurposed FDA approved drugs like metformin and mebendazole and Lipitor and doxycycline. And they do this alongside some type of standard care and ketogenic diet. And they are getting some amazing results at reducing toxicity, improving the the outcomes. And if this was a drug, as I'm fond of saying, if this was a drug, insurance companies would be reimbursing pharmaceutical companies hundreds of thousands of dollars for it. Mm -hmm. And, And it just blows me away. It's just like what Verda is doing with diabetes reversing diabetes, reversing, or, mm-hmm. you know, at the, at the least they're lowering the dosage and number of drugs that somebody's, so they're just slowing down that whole progression that we associate with diabetes, sort of the, on the march to death. So, you know, there's these models out there that are just great. Mm-hmm. And over time, even if they don't gain acceptance within pharmaceuticals, or acceptance within all of oncology, they are going to have a place. And the reason why they won't ever gain, you know, acceptance across the board, they may gain support, but you know, not universal use. Because when you think about it, how many people are going to be willing to make that kind of a change in their diet, if they are also weighing that against take a pill, go to chemotherapy, take radiation, there are people that would rather do that than to change their diet up. Which seems crazy to me, but, well, but in, in our world, Sean, it is. <laughs> yes, with all these yummy food we get to eat. But let's talk about that. So, is there a difference, I guess, in a cancer patient's ketogenic diet versus just kind of doing it for health benefits kind of ketogenic diet? Well, the the motivation is different, and so is the pressure. 
So if you're doing it for health reasons and you, you might have the luxury of time to sort of work into it, but people who get a diagnosis of cancer, they're freaked out and they're you know overwhelmed. And it's like, they got to do something to get this cancer out of their body. And so a lot of the people that I work with have tried Atkins, you know, that comes up a lot. Oh, I tried Atkins and I lost some weight and it was easy enough to do, but I fell off the wagon. Uh Well, they're not as likely to fall off the wagon if the diagnosis is cancer and they already know they can do this diet. It's not a challenge in their mind anymore. Of course, you know, I also work with people who have never had to diet. This was never an issue for them. And all of a sudden now they're faced with a cancer diagnosis and they've searched around and they found this way of eating. And maybe they went vegan first. Maybe they tried juicing first. Any number of things that are out there that say that they're anti-cancer, but have none of the science behind it, none of the mechanism of action that a ketogenic diet does. So there's none of this cycling going on. You don't do carb cycling. Mm-hmm. You don't do feast famine. You have options in how to get into ketosis. And understandably, a lot of the people I'm working with are also pretty compromised in terms of their nutrition or their weight. Or the chemo, the treatment has knocked them on their butts and, and they're having trouble getting their feet back under them. And so you do have to be a lot more careful in working. Or the older people, you know, you got to really work hard at not losing muscle mass in the process right. because they're getting this conventional treatment that impairs their nutrition. And at the same time, you're adding a diet in. So you got to be very careful that all of the food, every bite that they're taking in is meaningful, is somehow going to support them. And none of this empty eating that's only going to add sugars, you know, in the hope that it's going to keep them from losing weight. It's just not realistic. That's not the way it works in cancer. That's not the way it works in cancer. So if people have a diagnosis and they're sturdy enough for a fast, yeah, by all means, fast to get into ketosis. But for the more compromised individuals, we kind of ease them in by adding the fats to where they can tolerate it and maybe adding some digestive aid to that before we start to pull out the rest of the carbohydrates. So I start by just saying, okay, first thing you're going to do is eliminate grains and sugars. Okay, just do those two things. Let's add some fat to replace those calories. And once you're up to speed with that in a couple of weeks, we'll start to pull out some of these other starchier things that you're eating. And you know, a lot of times people will work way ahead of that schedule. My schedule is pretty conservative and they'll be through that whole process in two weeks and they'll be in in ketosis. So, and then monitoring them while they're in treatment, especially so that they, they got an email this morning from somebody I'm working with and he's on a heavy, heavy duty chemo radiation, six weeks intensive. And it makes it so difficult for him to want to eat anything, Mm -hmm. let alone this change in diet away from what he's used to eating to this. And so that's really tailored. I hate for anybody to give up. That's why I wrote my book (laughs) to put what's in my head out there so that anybody can access what I know, maybe not to the degree that I know it, (laughs) obviously not to the degree that I know it, not with the experience behind it, but enable to at least figure out how to do this and to be able to troubleshoot. Troubleshooting is a huge part of this, Sean. You know, so this fellow's like, well, I I can't eat any of these things that I was even able to eat a week ago. All I want is toast. And it's like, well, how about a keto shake? So I Mm -hmm. send them recipes, the 40 low carb keto shakes. And it's like, tell me something there and I'll help you modify it so that it's really pleasing to you. Because that palatability in the keto world at large 
is not an issue. We find really palatable foods to live with. But right. Ability and digestibility and nutrition for somebody with cancer, it's a real challenge. I can imagine. And is there ever a need, do you see this, a need for the exogenous ketones to potentially get that person into a deeper state of ketosis? Oh, please give me some research on that. You know, Dominic D'Agostino is looking at ketone supplementation in cancer. His team at USF University of South Florida is just amazing, bright, talented people. So we will have the research in a couple of years, but we need the funding for the research Mm -hmm. too. Right. all that aside, I do support the use of ketone supplements, but I do it, again, very cautiously, conservatively. I say use a third to a half of a dose. Run these mineral salts by your team first because they have potassium in them and that may not be great for you right now, or they have some calcium in them and that might not be a supplement you should be taking right now. And there's such variation in these products. And some of them have some just god-awful ingredients or they're not tested for purity just like all supplements, there's Mm -hmm. a huge variation. And I certainly do have my favorites. And you know, there's more coming out all the time. So there are times that they're really, really helpful. And that is in these low weight situations used as in small amounts, they don't dull the appetite, they improve brain function. You know how when you're running on ketones, the mental clarity is just amazing compared to running on carbs. So, totally different world. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, just imagine the, that chemo brain, they call it. Well, people feel mental clarity with being in ketosis. I hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. And in terms of their energy level, they have the energy to do some at least lightweight resistance work so that they can keep that muscle mass. Muscle mass is a huge, as far as your metabolism, your whole body metabolism goes, the health of your muscles is so important. And so, even in the most compromised people, even if they can't get out of a chair, they can do some type of resistance, light weights, resistance bands, whatever, to help with the whole process. So yeah. huge. Okay, now here's the big question. Okay, ready. <laughs> are the doctors that are treating these cancer patients see and watch, and especially if that person isn't open to what you have to say potentially, which makes it equally as hard to... Well, and I, yeah, and I don't proselytize. I, right. I like to say what I do is educate and inform, and then people make their own decisions, and I provide the tools for self-advocacy. I provide the tools for empowerment, but really, people are on their own. They're navigating uncharted waters and hoping they're going to find... They're going to make landfall in time, but it sure beats the alternative, and I wouldn't have traded what we did for anything except I wish that I knew then at the start of that whole thing, a diagnosis, what I know now, you know, not just for my son, but for myself too, you know, it's like we went through horrible time and we would have weathered that better if we had been ketogenic at that time, the the mental clarity would have been a blessing. Right. And like I said, now you're passing this information onto others, paying it forward so that they have this opportunity to know more when and if this situation arises for them or their loved ones. When the stats, the way they are, one in two men getting cancer in their lifetime, one in three now moving closer to one in two women having a diagnosis of cancer in their lifetime. And I got to tell you, I get a a lot of emails from the loved ones of older people with cancer. And it's like the saddest things I get are, you know, somebody in their mid eighties living alone or living with somebody who's disabled by Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or another disease. And trying to do this on their own in isolation with the support of a grandchild, 
you know, an adult grandchild that really wants them to do this and has read my book and knows that, you know, but there comes a point where the challenges are too great and, or people that will call me after their loved one's been in hospice and it's, well, you know, hospice is palliative care. Mm -hmm. So it means that the cancer is out of control and death may not be imminent, but it's the expected endpoint. And for some of those people, keto might rescue them for a time, but for other of those people, it's just going to be a complication. So it's like, you've got to know what your loved one wants and then support them in their decision, even if it's not the decision that you personally would have made. It's very hard for younger people to see a parent or a grandparent go through that. But, you know, even there, you got to understand that it's their decision, even if it's in your mind, not the right one. Right. So tell us more about this book and where people could find it and where people can find out more about you. Give us all your info. I have a Facebook under my name, Miriam Kalamian. I have a tweet under Dietary Therapy. Got a great group of people. That's a great thing to get into because we're posting studies all the time and Twitter doesn't take a lot of time and focus. So you can quickly check on things. I have a website, dietarytherapies.com. And I have my, what I do, what kind of services I can offer to people individually. And I have a link to my book on that site as well. It's on Amazon. My book is Keto for Cancer, and it has a much longer title. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll read it to you once. Ketogenic Metabolic Therapy as a Targeted Nutritional Strategy. I really wrote this for the practitioners as well as for keto savvy people. It will take them to the next level from where they're at. But even if you're a beginner in keto, there's a lot of information and resources that are in here, including one of my favorites. I have a simple meal template. So when people are, are on overwhelm and think they need some complicated meal plan and you know a whole mess of recipes, and then they read that one chapter and they relax. And mm-hmm. actually, that's my next project. I think you asked next projects? Yes. That's my next project is a simple keto plan for people, just bringing it down to the basics and making it generalizable across all these different applications that we have. Yeah. And I read your book. I thought it was awesome. I do really love how it can be geared towards the practitioner teaching this and informing this for potential patients or of course, clients, of course, but then also family members or loved ones, that kind of thing too. But really, I feel like it's a very good book to feel empowered with what you know about keto and specifically for cancer, but just keto in general. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. A lot of yeah. this, there's a lot of overlap. And yes. I'm, I am glad to see the keto world is just blowing up the way that it's it is. So- Great. I know. It really is awesome. Miriam, thank you so much for being here and providing so much awesome, really useful information for our listeners. Thank you. And and I want to say to the women, we are different. And the greater low-carb world is starting to recognize that. And low-carb San Diego that's coming up in July, we're going to be talking a lot about those differences. Oh, awesome. Speakers on those differences. So lowcarbusa.org. And look at the San Diego event. I'll be speaking at it. And I'll also be offering a Q&A sessions for people. That's great to know. Yes, thank you so much. And we'll make sure everyone goes and grabs your book and finds out more about you on your website. We'll have all of that linked in our show notes so you can make it really easy. And we'll hopefully talk to you again soon. I would love that. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. 